Well, it's no accident I'm here today. We believe in the providence of God. It's no accident you're here today. Uh, Thomas and Laura had a beautiful baby Friday morning. I found out then that I would be preaching, but it's not by accident. It's not by accident, Luke. That was amazing testimony, and I appreciate you sharing that. It wasn't by accident you shared that today either, and I'm, I'm going to use that, uh, God willing, throughout this message. Um, yeah, I, I felt greatly stirred after Thomas handed over. I hadn't really, I, I thought a little bit because it may have been happening. I thought, yeah, there's a chance, but God really stirred my heart uh, with this message. So I'll do my best to get through this uh, without breaking down. But uh, what a powerful God we serve, amen. We are about to start, for those, because I know there's a number of visitors here, um, next week we're starting a new series called the Living In Series. And its design is to address the day-to-day realities of living in Jesus, of Jesus living in us, and of us living in the world, what that looks like. It's going to be very practical. But today's message was meant to be a bit of a prelude, uh, because I fear some of us don't necessarily care for it. Um, And today is about stoking in us a godly desire for his things, for the things of God. It's going to be based largely out of passages in John 14 to 18 um, in this coming series. But today I just want to really stir our hearts for the things of God. And I'm going to use every means at my disposal to do so. Um, But again, let's just pray because ultimately this is not complex stuff. I'm not giving you some great intellectual wisdom here. These are things that the Spirit of God moves in us. And let's pray to that effect, shall we? Uh, Father, I just thank you, Lord, because I know that whatever I say tends to be lame if it's of myself, Lord. But what you say, your words are spirit. They are life. And Lord, I pray you would speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, that you will convey something uh, to our spirits, Lord, that you will build faith, Father, and that you will build a great desire in us for the things of you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start from the uh, book of Matthew, chapter 5. Turn with me, if you will. It's a fairly well-known passage. Sermon on the Mount is intro lines, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger. So I'm not giving you any time to actually look it up. I'll give you a quick moment. Chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, I... It's a very dear passage to me. When I was a young man, or boy even, early teens, um, this is the first passage God really revealed himself to me in. I was there reading it and going, Lord, I desire this. I desire to be righteous. I want to be righteous. I know I'm not there. I really, really want to be righteous. And having come to that point really quickly, I don't think it was on the same day, but it was within a matter of days, I was reading about what God had done in Romans through faith in us, that he had made us righteous. And I was just there like, Lord, I desired this and you filled me. And you filled me. You gave me the very righteousness that I seek. And this is the pattern of scripture which I want us all to lay hold of, is that just about everything God gives us comes somewhere initially out of a desire for that very thing. Luke, I will pull straight to your testimony because you mentioned that right, right up the front. And so you're in a position where in destitution, I need, I need salvation, I need deliverance. And out of that comes a heart cry, which God was pleased to answer in you. I was just reading recently at the end of Revelation, the very tail end, just all the promises of God towards his people. And say, Lord, he's going to come quickly and let us welcome him. And they have this little passage in there, Revelation 22, verse 17, that says, let him who thirsts, 
come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's about a desire for him that God is so pleased to fill. A few scriptural examples I want to talk about, a bit in line with what Luke experienced. Some of you might recall a Canaanite woman who pursued Jesus, and this is in Matthew, the 15th chapter. I've got a lot to get through today, so we won't read them all in detail. But uh, he, she was pursuing him. She was a Canaanite. She was not of the Jews. Jesus essentially had no ministry to these people, yet she pursued him, calling out to the point where people were saying, look, just go away, woman. Yeah, Jesus is not for you. But she continued to call out, and Jesus like, tell, tell her what she wants. Get her to come to me. And she says, and he asks her, what do you want? He says, she wants her daughter, who was possessed of a demon, to be delivered. And so Jesus responds, as we see him respond so often, when desire is brought to him. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Similarly, he remembers the story of a blind Bartimaeus. Uh, he and depending on some story, some version of the story in the other Gospels, there was another with him as well. But crying out for Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the people again, Shh, be quiet, be quiet, get out of the way. But no, such was the strength of his desire. No, Son of David, have mercy on me. And again, what does he say? What do you want? He turns. He, it, it grabs Jesus' attention. He comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And what is Jesus' response? Go your way. Your faith has made you well. I'm reading through the book of 1 Samuel with my children. And again, I'm just doing this to give you the breadth of examples in Scripture where this principle holds true, that by desire, when we come and call upon him, that triggers an answer. Hannah, uh, in 1 Samuel 1, had a great desire for a child. She was childless. I'm pretty sure she was not the only childless woman in Israel at the time. But she was stirred up greatly. Um, she, there was a, a, another, wife, sorry, yeah, another wife of her husband this time who would really provoke her um, because of the, of the fact she had no children. She wept in great bitterness of soul. And she went to the temple when they went up to Jerusalem and she would just pour her heart out to the Lord and pray to the point where Eli, at that stage, the high priest there, looked at her and thought she was drunk and said, get out of here, you wicked woman. She said, no, no, my Lord, I'm not. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. And so he says, okay, may it be unto you as you desire. And again, not many verses later, uh, we're told that the Lord remembered her. He remembered her cry. So fundamentally what we're saying is that there is a spiritual principle at play which is just, at, it's just full. It's all over the scripture. When you go Old Testament and New, and Jesus talked about it in a range of different ways. Uh, in, in Hebrews 11 we're told, if you really believe God, there is something you need to believe about him. Does anyone remember what that is? He is a rewarder of those who seek diligently after him. Jesus would say things like this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. In Isaiah they would say, come all you who are thirsty and drink from these waters that never run dry. Jesus quoted as well in John 7, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. But all of them are predicated on this one idea that you are thirsty in the first place. What do you actually desire from God? As my aim here is to essentially whet your appetite for the things of God and his promises and what he has for you because it is the desire for those things that stirs him and it's a desire that met with faith that brings about answer to these things. 
um, Mark, when he shared um, just before, talked about Jesus' promise in, in John 14, if I go away, I go to prepare a place for you. And there's one of his fundamental promises that we desire for, that we would go to be with him. Um, and, and that is his desire for us as well. And again, that desire is met through Jesus Christ, that same desire to be righteous, met with him. Throughout the, the chapters of John that we're going to be studying, there are just so many of these promises that describe our nature before God and what he is going to do for us. He talks about this deep love that the Father has for us and says things like this as he prays for us, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them, that his very love would be shed abroad in our hearts. Do you desire that? Do you care for it? It is the most beautiful thing. I, I, I was moved to tears this morning as coming to church as God was revealing some things to me. This love shed abroad in your heart is a real thing. Do you have it? If not, do you want it? I pray you do want it. Jesus would pray, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. In him is a fullness of joy. If you don't have it, if you're depressed, if you're kept by the devil in some kind of depression or oppression, there is a joy to be had in him that you can lay hold of. But do you desire it? And Jesus said, my peace I live with you, and my peace I give to you. This world is not peaceful. We're in a relatively stable society, but not necessarily for much longer. Who knows? But my peace, he says, I can give to you. He, he makes even more crazier things. He starts to say things like, if you abide in me, you're going to ask of me whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. I'm going to see God answering our prayers. Do you desire to have that relationship with him and to have that faith in him that he will answer what you ask for? He promises that he will give us a Holy Spirit to dwell inside. Do you desire that? And that Holy Spirit, when he comes inside, speaks to us. When we're told that my sheep hear my voice, God will actually speak to you. Do you hear his voice day to day? Do you desire to? And so if you would come, you would experience these things. And most beautifully, you just get this intimacy with the Holy Spirit, as Jesus described, as he's praying to the Father, you, Father, are in me and I in you. He prays that they also may be one in us, to have that fellowship with the Lord that is so enriching and life-changing that everything else just starts to fall aside. Do you desire it? And then finally, he tells us that as we abide in him, there is fruit on our account. You want to see works of God performed through your life for his glory. It pleases him to do so. In fact, it pleases him that we would bear much fruit. Again, do you desire it? I'm trying to give you a sense, just very briefly, of the things God has for us. And we're going to unpack some of those in the coming weeks. But the great issue for today is, do we actually even care for this? Because I talk to so many people, and you'll, you'll talk about the things of God, and it's just like, meh. I don't particularly care. You know, I'm, I'm not moved. Why are we not moved? Why are we not moved by the things of God? I think there are some clues in Scripture as to why we don't care for these things in the start. And I would love to be able to get rid of those things. But uh, some of those are going to be a work of God in your own life to do so. Why are we not hungry? Let's turn to Revelation 3, uh, shall we? We'll go, go from there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus is talking to the Laodicean church. We know it's lukewarm. We know there's a sense of meh. Don't particularly care uh, about them. They're neither cold nor hot. Just, yeah, whatever. So what is their problem? Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. I do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. 
I mean, the fundamental problem we've got is not worldwide. It's actually a problem here. All right? And this is why I'm speaking to this church at this time, to you people. Because the thing is, we're living in a world which is so satisfying. We are filled to the gill with every satisfaction we can dream of in this society. You don't even need to have faith. We are blessed and prosperous. We have great homes to live in. We have every satisfaction, every entertainment, every sin you want to get into is easy and just at hand. And these things satisfy at a level. We're so filled with them. We're so very happy, so very content. Why do I need anything from God at all? Now, I fear religion makes this even worse because it gives you just enough of the salve, just enough of a sense of fulfilment that you really don't need the full expression and experience of God in our hearts. Just enough to feel like that little part of the life is dealt with and I can go on with this very rich and satisfying experience in this world and I have no need of anything. And like these Christians, the lukewarm church, we are rich and wealthy and have need of nothing. That's why they did not care for the things of God. I was listening to the testimony of an Gosh, I can't even say the word episcopally and minister, is that how you actually say it? Um, in the US in the 90s where he was experiencing revival in his church and he was just describing his state beforehand, saying he was very content. He was a minister at a lovely church, lovely little family, everything was just, just fine. He said, but I realised I was full of other things that were not God. I wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. And in some sense, if we're going to see God move, if we're going to see our desire for these things, we actually need to stir it up. And it means we've got to let the things of this world start to pale somewhat. Now, they have that general sense in their selves as they outwork themselves. Uh, we're told that the, the pleasures of sin are but for a season. Um, they do have a, an entrapment that makes you feel like they're very appealing. But eventually, as I think Luke, you no doubt saw, it just ends up in this great sorrow and... and it ends poorly, but we want to get to this point where we go, we actually desire these things. So our first problem is, are we so full of other things that the things of God really have just become meh to us? How can we stir this up? Right, how do we actually make sure that things of God actually come to the forefront? And look, part of this is a, is a slightly difficult message, and that to get hold of the things of God, to pour out your heart upon him, is not, you know you're not going to be left the same. You're not going to be able to keep that old way of life. You're not going to be able to keep those old desires and this fullness of the world and still get the things of God. There is a trade-off, and so you have to be prepared to give up those things. I was reading A.W. Tozer um, recently on being filled with the Spirit, and uh, he was putting the challenge out to those, saying, do you really, really want the Holy Spirit? Because at one sense, we see those promises of God and say, well, there's a little bit of an appeal there. Maybe, maybe that'd be nice. But do you really want it? Are you sure that? And I'll read his words. Are you sure that you want to be possessed by a spirit other than your own? Even though that spirit be the pure spirit of God, even though he be the very gentle Jesus, you want his benefits, surely. But do you want to hand the keys of your soul over to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, from now on, I don't even have a key to my own house. I come and go as you tell me. Are you willing to be taken over as one who will expect obedience We'll be able to obey God in everything he asks, no matter how hard it may be. And it takes away all this indulgence of self-sins because his ongoing presence doesn't permit it. The spirit of God doesn't sit there with the self. We crucify the self. So all that sense of our self-value and self-righteousness, self-worth, all the things we would want for our self, they will have to die in this. So it is a great sense of trade-off. 
And you have to go, no, I'm actually willing to give off this temporary satisfaction. These things of the earth that fill me and make me feel so satisfied now, are we willing to give them up and obtain the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ? I love how in Romans, Paul described in his very intro, he just says, I'm Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I've made myself his servant. We need to get to a place where I don't care what he asks of me because I'm just all in on this. God, you are my treasure. You are the desire of nations. You are so worth it. Thinking as we went through um, the book of Hebrews, I mentioned that briefly, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We talked about it is impossible, without faith it's impossible to please him and we have to believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. There are rewards for those who lay those things aside and diligently pursue him. I'm just thinking of Moses. Amongst those same people who are crying to the Lord, but he had a rather amazing testimony in that as well, because he saw, even though he was Pharaoh's daughter, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He saw that value in Jesus Christ, and he said, I'm going to trade that up. So if we're going to wake up from spiritual lethargy, Two things need to happen. We have to realise that we are full of the wrong things. We're going to have to give those up. And we have to be captured by this great desire and hunger for the things of God and go, yes, they are so precious to me. They are so worth it. There's not a thing in the world that matters compared to those things. The reality is it's a trap anyway. You, you, you get stuck on the things of the world and go, okay, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to trade that out. It's not going to go well for you. You get to the end of your life and it hasn't borne out. And we, we've, we're very presumptive in this society as well. We think society will continue on as it always has. That there's going to be this nice, comfortable, middle-class existence for us into perpetuity. We don't know that. I mean, a lot of that came from the blessing of God through his people and his blessing upon these nations. You know? And as we rip away the guts of our society and our Judeo-Christian heritage. Sure, there's a bit of scaffolding left, but we're not going to see that hold up for much longer when the heart of it's been ripped out by our society. So our desire is that we would desire after the things of God with everything inside of us. And I love if we go back to that passage in Revelations where Jesus was rebuking this church. He ends with a promise to them. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What's his desire for them? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He has an invitation for us to come be with him. And I can assure you from my own personal experience, because I'm very stirred at the moment, that it is so worth it, that everything he does inside of you can utterly take away every sense of self and pleasure and satisfaction to the point where everything on the earth just starts to fade away. It seems worthless. Now, there were things I very much enjoyed even last year doing. They weren't bad things in their own right, but they were satisfying me at, at a measure. God told me to get rid of them this year, and I just did it. And I've never felt happier. I've never felt happier that these things seeming so worthless now in my eyes because I'm pursuing and setting my eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his invaluable and precious promises towards us. The thing is, is that it doesn't just stop there. Luke mentioned this and Mark earlier. So when we talk about our desire and hunger for God, it is not just for ourselves. There is a great stirring in my heart for the lost which is that what we desire in God is going to go out and it's going to change people's lives all around us. I was thinking uh, earlier, how, how many of you remember a couple of years ago I spoke about the Moravians? We were kind of introing Acts and we talked a bit about a group people, people called the Moravians. Very significant because these people um, 
essentially experienced a work of God in terms of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that essentially started the modern missionary movement. And a lot of our modern missionary movements actually point back to the inspiration those people uh, provided. And in fact, people like John Wesley will attribute their salvation, their true salvation, to observing these very people on, on his passage out to America. Okay. But what happened with them to get this all started is they reached a point with, of a great desire for the work of God. They'd heard reports of it in another ministry and they were desiring it for themselves. So we want to see revival and they started praying. By praying, I mean they started on a perpetual watch of prayer. They would, in one-hour increments, rotate through 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This thing ended up lasting for 100 years, the 100-year prayer meeting it came to be known as, as they earnestly sought. But it didn't take long. They started that um, in one year, and it was within that same year that God poured out. He shook the place. He shook the people with the Holy Spirit, and, they, and he sent them. Within years, they were sending out missionaries. Within uh, the space of about 40 years, uh, more than the entire congregation at that point had been sent onto the mission field. That's an over 100% of the people were out in the mission field. Such was the stirring in, in God for them. And it started with this basic idea of desire. And then desire started in requesting because the things of God are very simple. You hear the word of God today and you hear it. And then you believe it. And then you do it. If you want to boil Christianity down to the most simplest form, it's that. Hear the word, believe it, and do it. I want to inspire us with the, the story for this lost in terms of just really expanding our vision for what God wants to do today. Because I've instirred myself, because it's not only an inward work. When the Holy Spirit falls upon people, it always rushes out and influences and impacts the people around about them. And... Uh, I've been listening a little bit to Reinhard Bonnke lately. I assume many of you, if you've got a quick raise of hands, you would have heard or seen of his testimony. Yep, okay, not as many as I thought. So my Lord bless you with this. Um, in the early 90s, Muslim majority took over Nigeria. Uh, government took over Nigeria and they uh, were banning ministries such as his. He was essentially an evangelist, would run crusades throughout the heart of Africa. Um, but Nigeria had rejected, in fact, um, they'd stirred up the Muslim population so much that there, were, there was rioting in the streets and, and some, some dear Christians lost their lives in the process. But nine years later, uh, God brought, raised up a man, a Christian man, uh, into government in that place. And uh, Reinhard Bonnke would say, he, he, he got to kind of give him this sense that this guy was going to win the election. In fact, he knew he was going to run for the election before he knew he was going to run for it. Um, and he would pray, after he found out he was running, he would just pray, Lord, let this man win. And Bonki is in. And he came to, to Nigeria. And I want to just watch a little video of what that looks like. Because it might stir your hearts as you see it. Sorry, I didn't give you a lot of lead in there. But let's, let's listen to this.
tonight you may come here as weak as can be. You will go home like a conqueror with Jesus inside of you. struggle to get through that without fearing, feeling something, hey? What a gospel that we have. When Jesus came, 
he was filled with the Spirit, came down from Nazareth and read a passage from the Bible, from the Scriptures. You can read it in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I believe that is the same mission. He told us to go out into all the world. Jesus said to his disciples, in the same way the Father sent me, I send you. And these are the things that God would have us do in his name. To be anointed to preach his gospel, to heal the sick, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And it is a beautiful gospel that we serve. And my aim today is just to stir you sufficiently. You go, what have I sold out for? What desires on this earth have I taken for myself in exchange for what God could do in me and through me? The gospel is a beautiful thing. And uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to share it sometimes when you're so personally moved. <laughs> So Reinhard was um, preaching in a prison. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it was in Nigeria, but he comes along to this. Uh, he's, pre- he's preaching there. All the Africans, they're in chains. It's a kind of a, a really old-style prison. It's medieval in nature. They're chained. Somewhat eerie as they worship because they're, they're shaking their chains in worship. But he has a word for the guy who's leading the worship there. Well, he's got to tell them, so you're going to be set free and you're going to become a preacher of the gospel. And it's like, and God reinforced a couple of times for him. So by the time he went to this man, he knew that that is what the Lord is saying to him. And he tells this man, Richard was his name. And uh, Richard hears it. And he looks out at this big tree outside of the, in the prison courtyard. And he points to it and says, look, out there, at the appointed time, every so often, uh, someone comes down from the city, the executioner. And he lines us all up. He starts from one end to the other. He hangs them, takes off their chains, and hangs the next man. For three weeks in a row, proceeding, this guy's come and he's got to the Richard, who was in that line, said, oh, no, I'm too tired today. I'll deal with you next week. I told you I'd do this. Struggle to get through this without being an absolute wreck, but hey, that's what the gospel does here. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so he said, Next week, I'm first in line. How can this be? And this is the nature of the gospel for us is that we are next in line. Our sins have put us in a place where we are going to face the judgment of God. But He can come to us now even though your sentence is due. And so you can be free. If only you would believe in him. And of course, you know the end of the story, because I wouldn't share it otherwise. <laughs> but uh, Reinhardt has no idea how this is going to happen. He, he hears what he says. There's nothing he can do about it. In fact, he goes off to the governor's wife at some point, and she's just angry at him for even suggesting they can change it. The storm's off, and that's the last thing he hears of it. He goes back to Germany. But many years later, he comes and he sees this man out in the streets and he comes up and he kisses his feet. He says, thank you. 
It's right hard and right Who are you? What are you doing? You're fixing them up. I said, I'm Richard. I'm Richard. And he was, of course, he was a minister of the gospel at that stage. But if you've never had a touch from Jesus Christ and known that he has saved you from your sins and that he will change you and heal you and work through you for his kingdom, my great desire for you now is that you would desire it more than anything and that, you would, that, just, that everything would melt away. All these vain things of earth that we satisfy ourselves with, they should be dust. Why do we accept that when we have the gospel? So as my desire for today is that you would have a great hunger and thirst for him, for the things of God, for his gospel, and that that would drive you to asking of him in faith, Lord, change me, heal me, save me. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you so much for your glorious truth and your glorious gospel, Lord. Lord, it is good news to us. And Lord, I pray that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim, that they will become the dust that they are in our eyes. And Lord, that we would see the beauty of Jesus Christ and your glory and your magnitude in our lives, Father, and that it would take hold, Lord, that we would pursue you with all our hearts, Father. And that even as our hearts would cry out for you and yearn for you, Father, that you would answer that cry as you have done for people throughout all history, Father, and as you promise, to those who would ask, we ask. To those who would seek, we would seek. To those who knock, we would knock. May we find, may we be answered. May the door be opened to us in Jesus' name. Amen.